Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we look at the war with ISIS, the self-proclaimed Islamist state in Iraq. President Obama, in a televised address, has promised to destroy ISIS. So does that mean another Western war in the Middle East is underway? Joining me here in the studio are Rula Halaf, our foreign editor, James Blitz, our former security editor, and on the line from the Middle East is David Gardner, our correspondent there. Rula, let's address that question first. Are we back, basically, with the West at war in Iraq? I think everybody's tried to avoid using the word war because this is a much more long-term campaign, I think quite limited in, in scope. And probably the military side is just one aspect of it. So I don't think we can compare this to the Gulf Wars. I don't think we can compare it to the campaign in Iraq. But I think it is probably going to be a long, sustained, but lower level military campaign and mostly through the use of air power rather than any troops on the ground, except perhaps eventually special forces. James, is this a purely American effort or are they going to be able to get allies in the Middle East? Because there was talk that actually now the Gulf states are beginning to sign up for this. Well, the starting point is that the Americans don't want it to be a purely American effort. That's very important to them. As Rula says and implies, they don't want this to be a recreation of the 2003 war in Iraq. So the starting point, I think, for the Obama administration is they do want to get allies not only in the Western world, but particularly in the region on side. And so what what you've seen thus far is that they have extended the operation and you've started to see airstrikes outside the kind of more limited humanitarian operation you've seen up till now. And that started this week. But I still think there's a lot of difficulty that the administration has in getting some of the powers in the region on board, particularly Sunni powers like Egypt, for instance, because at the end of the day, this is very much the defense of the Shia-dominated administration in Baghdad, and so that is where there is a tension. So I think there's going to be a real problem for the administration if it doesn't manage to broaden this coalition beyond what's there at the moment. David, uh, how does it look in the region? I mean, is there a coherent regional willingness to isolate uh, Islamic State? Well, there's certainly a consensus of panic, if you like, but that doesn't translate into a political or strategic consensus, it seems to me. I mean, part of the problem is, you know, Barack Obama keeps insisting that the strategy he unveiled last week to deal with the Islamic State is a counter-terrorism operation, similar to U.S. actions in Somalia and Yemen. Frankly, I mean, there's a collective dropping of hearts and jaws. If that's the sort of free-for-all between rival militias and warlords, whether mitigated or exacerbated by episodic drone strikes is a matter of debate. But if that's what success looks like, then, you know, failure must be truly awesome to contemplate. And the underlying point is, or points, is one, that the stakes are so much higher, and two, that defeating ISIS will require a really delicately crafted political strategy for any military action to have a prayer. 
And it's not clear. I mean, there's a lot of rustling in the undergrowth going on, suggesting that that's what they're angling towards, but it's certainly not clear that they're close to it. I mean, you know, you want Millie has to start with the size of the American bet, which is placed on Saudi Arabia. You know, to what extent does Saudi Wahhabi Islam in its doctrinal sense and its ideas differ from what is being promulgated by ISIS and their so-called Islamic State. There's no real counter-narrative there. As you say, David, the Saudi element is one big unanswered question in this. And ruler, I guess, another that everybody touches on is, is Syria, because on the one hand, he's fighting ISIS in Iraq. On the other hand, Obama is still adamantly opposed to the Assad regime, which is also fighting ISIS in Syria. Are there any closer to resolving that contradiction? Well, I think that even before you discuss the political shortcomings of what might be a strategy, and we're not sure yet, there's a very big problem on the military side, which is that in Iraq, the Obama administration has the support of the government in fighting ISIS. Whether we like this government or not, it will be working with the government and with the Iraqi military. In Syria, it has to work against the existing government. And it has to work in a way that any airstrikes do not in any way benefit the Assad regime. And I think that is very tricky. It's not clear to me how they'll be able to square that. Yeah, I mean, because essentially they're opposed to both sides, both of the two strongest sides in the Syrian civil war. So what do they want to happen? Well, they are also, from a legal point of view, they Mm. will be striking at targets in Syria against the will of the government. There, they're intervening in a war. But there's also the question of, you know, unless you have someone to replace ISIS and to actually fill the vacuum, then who's going to fill it other than the regime of Assad? So you don't have much faith in this third option, the third force that sometimes Obama has decried and said, look, they're frightfully weak. They're just a bunch of pharmacists, I think he more or less said. But on the other hand, America now seems to want to build them up. Yes, but building them up. I mean, there's this project now to train thousands of what they call moderate rebels in Saudi Arabia. But that can take a very long time. I mean, this isn't something you're not going to produce an army that can fill the void in a matter of weeks or even months. And a similar effort has been taking place in Jordan for the past year, at least. And I haven't seen the impact of that force Mm -hmm. on the ground. I mean, David, you've, I know, been a very strong advocate in the past of trying to give more support to the moderate rebels against the Assad regime in Syria. Does this feel like too little too late? Is is that still the right thing to be doing? Yeah, I think it is. But it's obviously not sufficient at this stage when they have been ground between the two stones of the Assads and the jihadis. They still do have a presence. They still can make a partial impact, but clearly it's not sufficient. And as Ruda said, one can just about see a path towards success in Iraq, a long path, on which, because there seems there to be almost universal agreement, but there is none on Syria, which is the heart of the problem. Ultimately, there are a number of things that need to happen here. I mean, one is you need to turn the Sunnis away from seeing jihadism as a lesser evil, and that is partly a political task. Why? Because of the enormous sense of betrayal by the West and by the Arabs of the Sunni majority in Syria and of dispossession of the Sunni minority in Iraq. 
Now, quite how you do that, you know, it requires a coming together of the principal actors, in this case, some form of detente between Sunni Saudi Arabia and Shiite Iran. And, you know, underlying this, I mean, if Iran can ditch Maliki, the question then becomes, in Iraq, under what circumstances would it dump the Assads, who are essentially wards of the Iranian state, very high maintenance and unreliable ones, but is it possible, therefore, to conceive of a transition without the Assads, based on power sharing between residual regime elements and mainstream rebels? There's so many folds within this that one could go on and on. But, James, I want to give you the last word and return to the perspective as it'll be seen in Washington in particular. A huge central theme of Obama's foreign policy has been get out of foreign wars, get out of the Middle East. In his last two years, have we just seen him reverse that? Not really, no. I still think it feels and looks very tentative indeed. Nothing very much is going to happen unless these coalitions are built around US policy. He needs the support of Europeans, and in Britain, the Cameron government also looks very, very uncertain about whether it would back the US on airstrikes. But more generally, as we've been discussing, you need to navigate around this very, very difficult Shia-Sunni split. And that is very difficult, because if you bring the Shia states on board, like Iran, if you try and bring them into the equation and get their support for striking ISIS, you will alienate some of the Sunni countries in the region. And so it is very difficult indeed. My guess is it's going to be very slow and very tentative. And the real worry is that all along, ISIS or Islamic State, whatever you call it, is building up its potential on the ground and not really seriously being dislodged. And so if you don't do something quite soon, it's going to become more and more of a problem. Just a very last one on that, but I mean, surely the point of this campaign is, if not to find a political solution, to at least prevent that happening, to contain ISIS, if not roll them back. Of course, it certainly can be contained, but ultimately what the Americans don't want to do is to be seen to be conducting an American war of the kind that was conducted 10 years ago. Neither their own public will accept it, nor Western publics, and it will be no good for them in the region either. That's the problem. Okay, James Blitz here in London. Thank you very much. Thanks also to Rula Khalaf here in the studio in London and to David Gardner in Beirut. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.